Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Morning, Grace. Hey, uh, we're going to learn some um, truths um, from Exodus chapter 17, if you want to turn there. Before we do that, I want to thank everyone for doing just such an amazing job last week, Resurrection Sunday. Nicely done. <clears throat> Record crowds, we've never had it that full. If uh, both services were at capacity, uh, we don't know what we're going to do next year, but we'll see. We have almost a year to figure that out. But I just, again, I just wanted to go back and commend you guys for doing such a great job of making people feel very welcome and parking far away and taking the shuttles and doing all that. It, it, uh, it just it went quite smoothly, it, more than we had expected. So we're, we're grateful for that. I don't know if you saw this on the news uh, this last weekend. This young girl, Satine Cahill, is in Australia. She's seven years old. She had a very lucky day, kind of, last week. Her family won tickets to the opening uh, football game, the Australian Rules football game down there in Australia. And she had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be the team's mascot. And that's why she's dressed up in the team uniform. And she would run out onto the field with the players. Now, again, this is opening day, and so everybody's pretty excited. The stadium was filled to uh, overflow. There were 47,000 people and more there, and they're chanting and bouncing around, and the stadium is shaking, and then they have this tremendous fireworks display, and she is petrified. She doesn't want any more part of this. This is not what she signed on for. She's telling her mother, I, don't, I just want to go somewhere where it's peaceful. I just want to find a place that's quiet. I don't want to go out on the field. Please don't make me do that. And then, and then, and then, Tex Walker, team captain, six foot four, 220 pound, grabs her hand and says, you can't do this, but we can. He consoled her and talked to her, and they held hands and went out on that field. Her eyes were still filled with tears, as you can see. And she was having a hard time, but she did it nonetheless. And at the end of the day, she was interviewed, and she said, it was exciting and a little bit scary. <laughs> exciting and a little bit scary, she said. Listen, listen, nothing changed. Nothing changed. There were still over 50, you know, almost 50,000 people there. They were cheering louder when she came out than when she was under the stadium. She's still seven years old. She still has pigtails. Nothing changed. Everything changed. Everything changed when Tex Walker walked over and grabbed her hand and said, we can do this. That changed. His power, his presence gave her courage and confidence. That's a powerful story. That's a great story. You ever felt like, like uh, Satine Cahill, where you're a little seven-year-old girl with pigtails? You move to a strange town like Austin, you're looking for a job, and you're all out of connections, and you're out of even hope for a connection or something. You start, or maybe started a new school. Some of you remember that? You felt like a little seven-year-old girl that's scared to death? Or maybe, you know, I remember when um, somebody that I uh, admired and counted on, and it was a hero in my life, and they passed away and just thought, oh, I just feel so um, vulnerable, like a little like a little girl. And all the life, life fills us with loud noises and the ground feels like it's shaking and we're trying to, you know, I just, I want something, someone to hold my hand. 
you know, we're, we're going to study that today. We're going to study about the nearness of God. We're going to study that for five weeks together. And the reason we're going to study our relationship with God and, our, and trying to maintain some things to help us to feel the nearness of God is, is started because uh, when we were doing our Galatians series uh, for the last 10 weeks or so prior to Resurrection Sunday, the most common feedback that we received was, you know, okay, okay, I, wow, this grace that we are receiving from God, I'm seeing the power of that, but I'm still not sure about how to apply it. Or they see that I want to be a grace-filled parent or a grace-filled uh, worker or employer, but I, I'm, I'm not seeing, like, the connection between what I'm knowing and even experiencing and what, how it's working, right? Or I, I, I'm grasping slowly the concept that I'm absolutely forgiven and I've inherited the righteousness of Christ and I'm looked upon as a son or a daughter of his. Now, how do I... How do I push that in, into my relationships with other people, right? I'm a child of God. How, how can I, how can I <laughs> experience um, a relationship, the nearness of God? How do I feel near to God? How can I live a life that's exciting and a little bit of fear, right, with a little bit scary? So that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at how to do that this week, uh, this week and then for the next uh, four weeks after that. We have a great story. If you're in Exodus chapter 17, I want to tell I want to read these, this paragraph to you because it's a perfect picture. And I want you to, if you could, paint this picture in your mind as I'm, as I'm reading because it's a picture of Israel as, you know, a little, a little child with, with pigtails uh, doing a very scary thing but experiencing the nearness of God, and that's what allows her to get through the event. And then we're going to apply that to our lives, okay? In Exodus chapter 17, <clears throat> verse 8, the Amalekites are the bad guys. They're bullies. They're notorious for, uh, as a warrior nation, but they're also rather famous for having absolute no ethics in combat. They'll do anything to anyone in any way, whatever it takes to win. And so that's who they're going up against. I'll tell you more later, but verse 8 says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at uh, Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. And tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill and I, with the staff that I receive of God and I'll hold it up with my hands. And so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill together. And as long as Moses held his hands up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, he was an older man, and his grew tired, they took a stone and they put it underneath him and, and sat him down. And then they each one took on each side and they raised his hand, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. And so Joshua overcame the Amalekites. All right. Did you, did you see that? Did you, could you see it in your mind's eye, the picture here? I mean, the theme is pretty obvious, right? That, that God is near and we need him. That God is near and we need him. And this is a story for the spiritually learning impaired. This is a great example of an Old Testament story. One of the purposes of the Old Testament stories is to help us understand the spirit world because we don't, we can't, you know, we can't analyze it in a scientific way. And so early on in the life of Israel, God's making sure that they see the absolute cause-effect nature of being near to God and having success, right? They, he has to vividly show this to them early in, in their life together. And in, in case you missed some of this in just the few sentences we read, please let me tell it again with some more details. 
Okay, the hero, you know that. Moses, he's an older man um, in excess of 80 years old, and he has the wisdom of God, and he knows God, and he, he knows what's happening here. And so he wants to make sure that Joshua, his soon-to-be replacement or ultimate replacement, understands the way the universe works, that God is near and that we need him. And so he, sa- he says to him, look, you, Joshua, are going to go into the valley and have this combat with the Amalekites, and I'm going to go up on the hill, and I'll do what God has called me to. Now, you need to understand that if this were on a fight card, it would look like this. The, Am- the Amalekites, generations of combat soldiers that have a great win-loss record, again, they're Klingons. They have no values or ethics. There's nothing they won't do to win. Against the Israelites, who are bricklayers? And have been making bricks and stacking bricks for as many as 400 years. That's all they have. This, a month ago, they were in Egypt. In less than a month ago, they were crossing the Red Sea and just learning how to walk on their own. This is a new nation. And if you were a betting man, you would bet on the Amalekites. Because these people don't have a chance. And so Moses says, look, Joshua... You have to go down in the valley and fight in a, com- in a hand-to-hand combat, okay? And you're going to do what you have to do, and I'm going to be up on the hill so that people learn this lesson. I'm gonna, what you're going to do is important. What I'm going to do is very important for the history of our, of our country, but also in the history of what it means to live by faith. And, and what happens? Right? They, he raises his hands, and they win. And they, he lowers his hands, they lose, because he wants to see. He wants to, the, the people to see that when his hands are raised... They are close to God. Traditionally, it is representing prayer, talking to God. Just talk to God, right? Bring intimacy with God, and you will have success, right? And it is, the, the equation looks like this. It is far superior to fight with the supernatural strength of God than to go into life combat without it. It is better to be intimate and close with God and living your life out than it is to be away from that. Uh, there's a figure of speech that people have in the church um, that understand this truth. It's a cute little saying. When we work, we work. When we pray, God works. When we work, we work. When we pray, God works. Uh, if <laughs> I'm just a pastor, but you guys are what? Minister. So when you minister, you minister. But when you pray, God ministers. He's doing things through your life in ways that you could never do without him. Granted, listen, Joshua's out there. He's, he's swinging the swords, right? He and his, and his troops, they're out there doing the combat, but they know how good or rather bad they are at this art of warfare, and they know when God is doing it. When you parent, you parent. When you pray, God parents. You're going to be doing some of the work, but the supernatural work that takes place in parenting, that'll be God doing if he's near, if your hands are up. In your relationships, you can just talk and converse and argue, and you will converse and talk and argue. But if you pray, then God is in that, and you'll have stories and you'll have experiences that can only be explained by God being near. You see? Do do you... And the point of the, is this. Do, do you want that to happen? The, the lesson is it makes a difference. The nearness of God makes a difference to you. And 
Do you have stories like that? Do you have experiences where you felt like you were living kind of in an era of life or a time in life where you felt like you were close to God and you, uh, metaphorically speaking, your hands were up, you know, because the disciplines of life and the time, the commitments to prayer and to doing, you know, what is, what is necessary to feel the closeness of God that was happening in your life? I mean, I know I have. And, you know, you might, we have some overlap in our life experiences, and I, I have felt that with our, my relationship with my wife where because I was in a, a, a time of my life where I was very intimate and feeling near to God, we were having these breakthroughs. We had stalled or plateaued, and then we pray a lot, and we have a new understanding of each other and what motivates each other or what is in our backgrounds that could help solve some of the problems that we were having. I, I've been at, in, in a teaching situation where I've been up here, and I know because of the nearness of God, I know what I can do and say, and what I do and say sometimes is, is insanely beyond my capabilities in my wildest dreams. And there are times, honestly, where I'll run to my office after church and write things down that I said, kind of. They came out of my throat, but I, they were amazing. So that's what I do for a living. But you, you probably have some stories like, like that as well, where you have unusual insight or, or or a, a problem-solving situation where we're stuck and it's not going to work. And when we work, we work. But when we pray, he works. And it's, then epiphanies happen, right? In, in parenting, I'll never forget the time when, again, this, this idea where I was close to God. I remember coming home and, and uh, just having fun with my firstborn and, and looking into his eyes and thinking, like, I had this moment with him. I could see in an in in his soul and experience him and understand how God made him to be. It was, it was a supernatural experience because I was near to God, and it was a parenting plus God's involvement in that parenting. And I, I have had a time in my life where um, I was uh, physically beaten, and my, my body was uh, in uh, disrepair, and then, and then circumstances of life uh, ran over me a couple times, and I I didn't want to play anymore. I just wanted to quit. And I, I heard his voice. Friends, it's the most mystical experience I've ever had in my life. But I just heard, I just heard, I'm here. I'm here. And, and the nearness of God is what, is what, you know, I don't know, kept me alive. Gave me the power, the willingness to get up again. The Bible is filled with stories like with, with, with people that understood the power of the nearness of God, that if they, if, when they're close to God, they're able to experience the presence of God and experience things that only God could do in their life, through their life. When Israel was um, right in jail and they were, they were um, living in Babylon, right? They were in exile. And there was a decree that went out that said, it, it, it is now illegal to pray to the God of Israel. And Anybody caught praying, the penalty was death. But Daniel, you know, might know the story, but Daniel, he, he was already in a disciplined relationship with God and where he prayed regularly. He, he always wanted intimacy with God, and, and he wasn't going to stop. He wasn't going to stop praying. He knew what would it cost if he would just stop praying, and his hands came down. He would be powerless. He would be without wisdom. He would be without insight or hope. And so after the decree came out, he just continued to pray like he was before, three times a day. And you know, you know the story about God rescuing him from the den of lions, but, but be, be, put that over here. Let's consider the, the, 
the decision that he made before, before God saved him. That he was going to give up his life before he'd give up his prayers. He would give up his life before he would give up his praying. Because not praying is not living. And he wanted to be near God. <laughs> and, and if he couldn't be near God praying, he was going to be near God, thank the lions, and the lions would send him near God. Because he knew the power of being near God. God is near and he needed him. And he was, and Daniel wasn't going to leave him. In the New Testament, you see stories through the book of Acts. You'll see multiple times where, keep in mind, by the way, they're worldview, they're pagans. They didn't believe in the, in the God they were, the, the followers of Jesus were praying to, okay? From their point of view, they would say they're just praying to um, a unicorn. They don't exist either, right? So they didn't believe in the God of, of, of Christ, right? But they, but they persecuted them for praying to that God. Because it brought them great fear when they saw a huddle of Christians talking to God. They didn't understand it. They didn't believe it. But they knew there was supernatural power coming when they were near the God that they were speaking of. You look at the life of Jesus, right? How many times do you see? And then he went off into the mountains to pray. And then he went off to the shoreline to pray. And then he went off to the plains to pray. <laughs> I mean... We're running out of geography, right? He goes to the garden because he has to have supernatural power to be able to endure the suffering that the Father had required him to do. Right? He needed to be intimate and near the Father before he was rejected by the Father because of the cost of the sins that we, he had to bear for us. Right? And, and then even in church history, it continues. The people understood in church history the power of prayer. And even people that were antagonistic to the church understood the power of being near to God. And so you'll see stories of being people expelled from schools or, or losing promotions or kicked out of a country or being persecuted, whatever it might be, because they felt that threat. There's power. There's power in this nearness to God. And the nearness to God comes from an intimate relationship with God, through, mostly through prayer. There... The, the point of this story is this, this at least it, this first part is this, that, that God is willing and he is able to unleash supernatural, spirit-filled expressions of power in your life in every context that you allow him in, in the context of work or in, you know, in your, in your fears in life or in character modifications in in your relationships with your children or your parents or with your mate, whatever, it's there. The power is there. It, it, the power can even heal people. It can heal relationships with people. It's there. That's the point. Hands up, near God. You need him. The, the second thing that's interesting that I find here is that, again, just the presence alone, just the presence alone changes things. Again, Nothing changes, but everything changes when you're in the presence of God, just like our little, our little seven-year-old. Jesus, sometimes the, the, the promises that are found in the Bible, it's, it's as though they're saying, look, I'm not saying you won't suffer. I'm, what I am saying and what I am promising is that you won't suffer alone. 
what I'm, what I'm saying here is you're, you will feel helpless, but you will not feel helpless and alone because of his presence. And, and our life, our, our, our hope is that we could spend some time together learning what, what do we need to do to feel our hand slipping inside of his in times of need, in times of regular life, right? Because when our hands are up, God is near, and, and, and supernatural things happen. Now listen, if the math works that way, it works the other way as well. And we see that in the story in verses 11 and 12, where if, when his hands were up, they, Israelites succeeded, but when his hands were down, they, therefore they failed. When they were away from God, when they weren't involved when they, in, in, in the relationships, when they weren't praying, right, then the Amalekites were winning. So do you picture it's, it's, it goes both ways? Things are working here. Things are not working here. They're, they're losing. And I have found in parts, in seasons of my life where prayer was not a priority, where intimacy with God was not the first and foremost thing in my life, that I find myself going back to just doing, you know, when, when I work, I work. And when I work, I get tired. And when I work, I get tired, I get irritable. In my relationships, I start keeping score. I mean, that's my default. It's like, how much are you putting into this thing? How much am I putting into this thing? Let's see if it's worth it to me. Are we, in, in my relationships with my children, they are just at best distractions and mostly, you know, they're just an encumbrance because I have things to do. I have, I have a to-do list I'm running through. Because if, if I'm not attached to God, what happens is it's, it's going to be all about me and whatever I want. And the things I want are not good. Have you ever felt that? You know, f- feeling like you're getting heavy-handed, you know, your, your arms are getting tired because the relationship requires certain amounts of time and, and truth and some disciplines. And you find yourself, right, going to old habits, old values that you thought you abandoned and said you'd never go back to, uh, actually participating in things that you, that you sh- know you shouldn't be and you would never return to even hang, spending time with people that are not going to bring you any closer to God. But more tragically, I think, is that you don't have the stories of, of magic, of mystery, of God's intervention, of life experiences that can only be explained by God invading your life because your hands are up and you're near to him. And truth be told, I'll bet some of you right this moment, right now, are in a season like that where your hands are down and it's been a long time since you had a feeling and an, or experiences or the truths that you're right with God and that you're intimate with God. And the feeling of God's grace in you spilling out is all but a forgotten memory. God is near and we need him. So here's the thing. Here's what I want us to do together for five weeks, okay? I'm, at this, at this week, today, I want us to make two commitments. I'm going to ask you at the end. We'll have our eyes closed. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand maybe, okay? But I'm asking for two commitments to just wherever you've been, it doesn't matter. Even wherever you are, I don't, who cares, right? How about tomorrow? Two commitments to, to get our hands up and experience the power of God in every aspect of our lives, okay? The first commitment is this, time. First commitment is, this, is time. 
And by time, here's what I'm asking. For the next five weeks, and we're doing this because sometimes if you go five weeks with something, if you pick up a new habit, it's, sometimes it's even a lifetime discipline. 15 minutes a day. Now, that's entry level, right? And if you're, if you're doing that, then let's add another 15 to what you're already doing. But I want to make sure everybody gets in and I make sure everybody wins. 15 minutes a day, talking with God. Just talk to him. We'll, talk, we'll, we'll explain more. But I would recommend even splitting it seven and a half minutes each. And, the, and you start your day and you end your day. You bookend your day and you start your day and you're saying, Lord, I'm not getting out of this bed or I'm not having breakfast or whatever. I'm not leaving this chair, my prayer chair as of tomorrow, right? I'm not leaving this until I, I understand that I'm in submission to you. You are my king, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my life as it is in heaven. I surrender this all to you. And, 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 you, and you just do that. You're grabbing his hand. You're right? your little seven-year-old girl with pigtails, and you're grabbing his hand, saying, I'm not leaving the house without you. Right? I can't do this, but we can. And then the other seven and a half minutes is at the end of the day, the bookend. And you do, we'll look at the details of this later, but it's, uh, it's an evaluation, kind of a, a checkup. How'd that go today? How'd I, how'd I do with being near to him? Did my hand stay up the whole day? So the first one is time. I'm asking 15 minutes. Okay, we're going to do this as a family, 15 minutes for our five weeks together. The second one, or the second part of, of time is, is the idea of continual prayer, a continual prayer throughout the day. So you start your day that way, and then you're driving to work, and I'm just telling you, talk to him. <laughs> talk to him. Tell him, just talk. It's a relationship, by the way. Please do not exchange to-do lists, okay? Here are the four things I'm going to do today, God. Here's the here's six, six, six things I need you to do to cover my back. That is not a relationship, okay? It's very easy to go that route, but just if you're alone in the car, talk out loud, okay? Just talk out loud to him. Have a conversation with him. When, you're, when you go into work, right, if you're working and you go into work, you're walking down the hallway you're, and you're about to enter a meeting, just say, just talk to him, right? Why not? Right? Your work is the same as Joshua's combat, and maybe your work is combat, right? depending upon where you go. But you could go into the next meeting going, look, God, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, or as light bulbs, I'm about a 40-watt bulb. I would, love to f- I would love for you to do things in the talents that you've given me and, and, and show yourself in a 75-watt bulb experience for me for the company's sake. For my, I want to make my boss a hero today. Or maybe you could, you could pray going into the meeting, Lord, I just want to... I just want to have your eyes because there might be a lot more going on in this meeting than just the to-do list that we'll do today. What if there are human souls behind those eyes? I want to, I want to know that, Lord. See? You just talk to him. Talk to him at work. You're going home from work. My hardest part of the day is changing gears and, you know, between this place and the, my driveway. Talk to him. Talk to him and say, Lord, okay. Now I'm going to be a family man. Now I'm going to be the husband and a father. Now I'm going to be a roommate, whatever it is. Lord, give me eyes to see. Help me experience this in the fullness. Help me keep my hands up. Don't touch the doorknob. Do not touch your front doorknob until you've talked to him. This is what we're talking about, time. And then when you're in your conversations at home and you're having conversations with family or roommates or whoever you're out with and things get going some way, right? Let's just pretend, let's, for the sake, let's say you're having an argument. Stop the argument. One of the best things ever happened in our marriage. Stop the argument. Let's pray. Let's talk to him. Let's just talk to him. See, it's, it's this constant relational experience that's going on. 
And, and again, if, if you're not careful, even in, for example, character development, and, and, you're, and you're well-meaning, but you're trying to say, okay, well, how, you know, I, I would like to stop being so vain or, or self-centered uh, or greedy or whatever it might be. Even if it's that and it's on a list, you're still talking about you all the time. You see? It, it, we're still just meditating on you and character flaws instead of staring, you know, at this hand, right, going back to the original story, right, just that little girl staring at this giant hand that's holding her. The focus is on, on the power of Jesus and, and his love for us. So, so, so it's, it's a relationship, it's a relational talk, it's a conversation. So the first commitment I'm asking us to all do together is time, and the second one is, oh, I'm sorry, I need to go on. Uh, to help us with that, to help us with that, we've come up with, uh, no, no kidding, just uh, a campy little gimmick. Okay, that's all it is. It's a campy little gimmick. And, and in your bulletin, uh, what we want to do is if you have one of those smartphones, you can add to your wallpaper, which is the, the face of your phone, you could add one of our icons here. God is near or, you know, the famous painting with the fingers touching, right? God touching Adam. And you could do that so that throughout the day you could be reminded. And you could, you could go to our website, and the link to the God is Near uh, sermon series can help you with that. You can uh, point your phone at that square, and then, and then a fairy comes. And then, um, I don't, honestly, I was talking to Lindsay, and she was telling me how to do that. And then, you know, I just kind of, honey, when do the kids come home next? I would suggest you have someone younger try this. I, have no, I don't know, but it'll be on there by, you know, Tuesday for me uh, with help from someone. But the idea here is, again, it's, it's, it's simple. Okay? It's just to remind us, okay, come on, hand. God is near. God is near, and you need him. And I'm looking at my phone all the time. It's the new wristwatch. I used to put a dot on my wristwatch. Every time I look at my watch, I go, oh, okay, remember, let's keep in mind the presence of God. This is a version of that. So would you consider doing that? Okay. Keep those hands up. So the, so the first one is time, okay, 15 minutes a day, and then throughout the day. And then the second one is transparency. Another, another uh, simple word for that is truth. Just telling God what the truth is about you, okay, about what motivates you. We talked for so many weeks in our Galatians series about the power of grace. I never told you, really, about the weakness of grace. Grace, grace is only weakness. The reason it can't transform a soul is because of pride. And, I, and I'm asking for us all to just go into this saying, I will tell the truth about this. If we're going to be talking about the nearness of God, you want to know what repels us from him? Vainglory. Vainglory. Because if that's, if that's our deflector shield, we can't get near him. He's a jealous God. and He, he won't let you worship yourself and him. And so... So in your conversations with God about life, could you please lean into the harsh truth that you are a proud soul and what motivates me most is somehow winning? You see? And so let me give you an example. If you are having financial difficulties, this is just parenthetical, hypothetical, right? So hypothetical, not parenthetical, but yeah, right so you're having so you ask God to help either with the, the magic of making making it work so that your bills get paid or feeling the presence of God when things aren't working out either way his power or his presence and you're bringing that 
And then go deeper. Go, okay, go honest. Go transparent. Go truthful and say, how did I get here? How did I find myself spending money I didn't have? Sometimes it's circumstances, but is it, is it, could it be because of my vanity that I have a right to be living a certain way or I want other people to look at me a certain way or I want to feel pampered in life? Do you see? How did you get there? Take that to him because the reason you act out and make decisions that are regrettable is because you're not thinking what God thinks about you and the power of the gospel in your life. If you never bring it up to him, he can't help you cure it with the power of who he is. The, the, the most glorious person in the universe loves you and died for you. You won't be telling him anything that he doesn't know. Tell him the truth in your conversations. Just tell him you're lonely or tell him you're scared or tell him you don't like being ignored. Tell him and then say, why is that in light of who you are? Here's what happens. When you're with him, you'll forget about you. When you're with him, his glory will overshadow your insecurities. And that's, that's what we're out to do here. You'll forget about yourself. When you remember God, you forget about yourself. So let me just, here's what we're asking. We're asking for time, and we're asking for truth. We're asking for transparency. 15 minutes a day, and honest-to-goodness prayers, relational prayers that are happening throughout the, relationally truthful. Because the power of this is going to, we're going to have transformation when we allow him to in, inject himself into our life, in all aspects of our life. Here's a, let me tell you a great story about, the, again, this. A life with hands lifted up. In C.S. Lewis's uh, famous uh, series, The Chronicles of Narnia, in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you know the story, there's these four um, siblings, and, and one, his name is Edmund, and he has sold his soul to the devil. The devil is the white witch in this series, and he gave his soul to her, and there'll be consequences to, to pay for that, to, There'll be consequences for that. But not only did he sell his soul to her, but he's also betrayed, stabbed in the back, his uh, two sisters and his brother, and so they're not well with him either. And toward the, the story that I'm speaking about sp specifically is now Edmund has a confrontation or uh, a reckoning with Aslan. Now, Aslan is the Christ icon. And I, I, we don't have time to explain the majesty of this of this in image in, in the mind of C.S. Lewis, but he has made Aslan to be a lion, but the size of a Clydesdale. So it's beautiful and intimidating. It's fearful and yet loving. Anyway, Edmund, whose soul belongs to the white witch, is now having this encounter with Aslan. And the, and the siblings walk up on it, and I'll, I'll read from there. Aslan finishes, and he turns and brings Edmund to them, and he says, Here is your brother, and there will be no need to talk about what has happened in the past. Now listen. A few minutes later, the witch herself walked up out of, from the top of the hill and came straight across and looked and stood before Aslan. And the three children, the other three children who had never seen her before, felt their shoulders shuddering. 
And there was, there was a cold chill, chill that ran down their back and onto their face. And though the sun was bright upon them, they were suddenly very cold. And it was a very scary place. And she comes and says, Aslan, you have something that belongs to me. There is a traitor in your midst. Edmund belongs to the White Witch. And she comes and does what the devil does. She comes to accuse. And all her accusations are true. But listen to how Edmund responds to those accusations. But Edmund had got past thinking about himself after all he'd been through and after the talk that he'd had that morning, he just went on looking at Aslan. It didn't seem to matter what the witch said. There it is. Edmund had got past thinking about himself after all he'd been through and the conversation he had with God that morning. He just kept looking upon Aslan and didn't care what the witch said. That's us, friends. We could do this. If we spend our time mesmerized by the majesty of Jesus the Christ, who he was, what he did, and allow ourselves to lift our hands because he's near and we need him. So here's what I'm asking for five weeks. Would you join us in 15 minutes a day in prayer, honest prayer, and throughout that day, and would you be truthful, painfully truthful, so that you might live an exciting life that's a little scary? Let's do that together. Can we pray? Let's all bow our heads for just a second. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes, if you don't mind. If you'll do this, if you'll do this with our church, would you join Grace? Would you raise your hand? 15 minutes. Wonderful. Lord Jesus, we want your presence near to us. We want your presence near to us. So, Lord, you haven't left. We have. And so, Lord, God, I would ask that you would help, help us in this endeavor that we wouldn't make this um, anything except a commitment to, to knowing you and loving you and feeling your love for us. Lord Jesus, we want to have stories of power, of miracles, of mystery in our lives. We want to we win wars for you, glory to you alone in our endeavors in life so that we could live a life that needs to be explained, that lives that a, live a life that's exciting and a little bit scary because our, our hand is held by you. So give us that, Lord. Give us a vision for that and the ability to do that and the joy. Give us, please, Lord Jesus, give us a story at the end of these five weeks, a story that would inspire us to live this way for the rest of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.